Hello, hello, good morning. In this episode, we talk to Sebastian Dull. Welcome to the Flutter 101 podcast, a weekly podcast focusing on Flutter and Dart. My name is Vince Varga, and welcome to the show. Sebastian Dull currently works on GitHub at Microsoft and previously worked as a solutions architect at AWS. I found his article on the AWS Open Source blog where he talked about introducing a Dart runtime for AWS Lambda. We talked about Flutter, Dart, AWS Lambda, and serverless computing. Welcome, Sebastian. Hey, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm also fine, calling from Berlin. Oh, awesome. Could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Sebastian Doe. Um, I'm a senior software engineer at Microsoft. Specifically, I'm working for GitHub right now. So I'm driving all amazing new features at uh, GitHub. Um, before this, I've been a solutions architect at AWS. Um, that's where I uh, created the Dart Lambda runtime for uh, AWS Lambda that we are going to talk about today, I think. So, yeah. And before that, being a uh, solutions architect, I've worked as an engineer in various roles for many organizations, ranging from consultancy to big publishers to, yeah, infrastructure providers. So I've seen a lot of different um, things over my career. Yes, I wanted to talk to you about AWS Lambda. Uh, but before we do that, what does a solutions architect do? Solutions architect, um, in general, this is a pre-sales role. So you have direct contact with customers and you try to help customers to succeed. Either it's be with AWS or it could be also with any other cloud provider. But specifically with AWS, solutions architect, help customers to use um, the AWS services, build their business on top of it and do many things being the consultants, but also providing solutions, writing code. Um, yeah, many, many things around uh, the offers and the customers. And how did you find Flutter and Dart? Personally, I found it because I wanted to write a small app and I had a previous experience with React Native, um, being a cross-platform mobile development framework that I've used, but I found it really cumbersome. Um, to operate in this ecosystem and immediately as Flutter came out, I saw how awesome like the, uh, the development uh, experiences uh, ranging from, oh, you have like immediate feedback in your um, devices. Um, so you can see it's immediately the updates. It now has a, a sound type system, which came with Dart 2, which is amazing coming from Golang. So the other Google language, uh, which is also a statically typed language. So that made it very interesting to me to to use it uh, and to speed up my development for a, a mobile app and then yeah i got in touch with the ecosystem many points of time uh, having colleagues that that uh, used it uh, having on product and having worked on products that uh, used flutter and also creating some projects around uh, dart and Flutter. Actually, this is the reason why I wanted to invite you to the podcast, because you wrote an article, I think, in the AWS open source blog about the Dart runtime for AWS Lambda. And I wanted to just, uh, I don't know, discover how you add a custom runtime to AWS Lambda and what, what is even AWS Lambda and uh, things like that. Uh, so 
Could you please explain what is AWS Lambda? Perhaps with a little bit broader context, um, Lambda fits into being a serverless uh, service. So serverless is like an architectural pattern, a computing pattern. So these are basically services that you use in your, um, in your applications uh, without a actually maintaining sometimes the underlying compute environment, so the machines. Uh, or the services uh, that govern um, um, the underlying services. So specifically, AWS Lambda, that's a serverless compute service. So basically, you can do, that's a service where you can execute um, different programs, different uh, applications without actually maintaining uh, your service. So basically, in this case, AWS maintains the service. And if you need to do a computation, uh, that means um, you are calling into AWS Lambda, for example, from another AWS service. It could be, for example, that you uh, trigger an AWS uh, so a Lambda function from, um, let's say, a Kinesis stream. So this is a stream. This is a service that um, allows you to uh, do eventing, event queuing. Um, or you can do it either uh, via an application load balancer, so actually calling, for example, from REST, from a RESTful API into into a service, and then execute something in uh, in this in this function. And it supports many different languages. Uh, and um, because uh, it's uh, basically a micro VM, so basically, okay. I will explain a little bit more in detail, I think, in this, in this case. So actually, Lambda itself um, is a micro VM. So every instance uh, of your functions actually executed in a small, lightweight uh, virtual machine that's built on KVM. Um, and the, the, the project that governs, so the, the code that governs is actually open source. This is a project that calls, that's called Firecracker. So um, that's the technology that underpins uh, part of Lambda, not everything, but part of Lambda. And with this being basically a, a small virtual machine, you can execute also other things. So in this, in this case, um, for example, dark code. So um, what I did with uh, the Dart Lambda runtime uh, is using a specific path for running uh, custom Lambda uh, runtimes. The specific path here is that uh, we basically compile a binary, so an executable, that's then uh, bundled into a zip file and uploaded into, into Lambda and then being executed. So the hook in point here is really, um, for the execution, is really a binary of, of Dart code, which Dart now uh, allowed to do. So I think in the background, they, they do uh, bundle a small, a lightweight Dart virtual machine uh, with your code so that this gets, uh, can be executed. Um, and yeah, in our case, this, this is the path that it's used to execute um, this function in AWS Lambda. I think I read that this is not an official uh, runtime. Uh, I wanted to ask what are the official runtimes and like which are the most popular languages uh, to be used on AWS Lambda? Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned, uh, there are many out there actually, <laughs> uh, even for custom runtimes, I would say from, from, from AWS, for example, there's one for Rust, 
I think there's also ones for PHP and so on and so forth. Um, but like the main ones, of course, with, with uh, that Lambda supports are uh, Node.js, uh, ranging, I think, from version 14 down to version 10 uh, right now. And then there's Python, ranging from 3.8 to 2.7, something like this. Then there's Java, Go, uh, and .NET. These are the uh, officially supported runtimes. And this is because, uh, as you as you read, basically, beside Go, which is a little specific, um, uh, is all interpreted once. And that means you have to maintain a specific runtime, basically, environment, right? You have to ship the, the um, for example, the Node.js version with, the, uh, with, with Lambda and uh, some libraries. So there's only like a small subset that is uh, actually like officially maintained um, um, for a specific time. When should I consider using uh, AWS Lambda for my apps or any other serverless uh, I don't know, solutions? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so my, 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 my recommendation actually is uh, usually like if you look for serverless, at one point of time, you will need a database for your application, right? You have to store some data, specific customer data or um, business uh, logic. Uh, you need authentication for these uh, APIs. You need perhaps integrations or you need uh, messaging, right? For example, sending out a push message to, um, to uh, your customers and so on and so forth. It's so that you need a lot of underpinning infrastructure. And usually building up this the knowledge and this infrastructure costs money and time right it costs a lot of money um, to to build to build up this infrastructure that's needed and um to uh, to build up the knowledge so serverless can help there right it's it's like okay you consume you can consume based on a specific pricing model in this case or in the most cases of serverless it's it's time and uh, in basically a time interval and request number that you most often have as the as the pricing or the unit of pricing here um, that you can use in order to to um, to execute uh, your business logic and yeah I mean serverless is really helping here and if you look for example for lambda there is an uh, and specific here if you look for Dart there's also an, another framework that can help. Uh, which is uh, AWS um, Amplify. So there is actually uh, now Flutter support for uh, for the AWS Amplify um, uh, toolset, uh, which helps you to integrate all of the things that you need. For example, a, a serverless database, uh, NoSQL database in this case, which is DynamoDB, and authentication, right, which is Cognito, and some some other tools along the way, which you don't have to do yourself. And that's the, the main reason why you should look into serverless and uh, why you should perhaps also consider using this customer dot lambda runtime for for um, for writing your code because you don't have to maintain the service you don't have to to do to know more than actually your own business logic and that's the main reason why serverless is really important and to, to, to highlight some other uh, offices, of course, from, from Google Cloud, you can also highlight, yeah, they have Firebase, which is also um, a set of services which, which you don't maintain. And I would say that they belong into the realm of, of, of serverless. 
And also with, with Microsoft Azure, you have also functions and some other server services that you can use and integrate. So how did you come up with the idea that you want to have a Dart runtime for AWS Lambda? So for me, um, I, again, I was writing and experimenting with some apps that I, that I built for myself. And I thought, uh, why should I use it? <laughs> another language basically for writing my code, um, my business logic um, for this app? Um, because it, it's, I also use um, Dart for, for the front end. Why don't use it for the back end? Why to have the overhead to use another language, of course? I'm a big Go fan, of course, I could write it very fast, but then I would have a code base that's basically not shared in the same language. So I thought, okay, cool. Uh, what what can we do here or what can I do here is create a, a runtime for for AWS Lambda that, where I can use Dart and I, uh, I yeah, use this, the great uh, standard library for Dart that Dart um, offers and yeah, use this, this ecosystem uh, to my advantage and write my business logic in the same language that I write my front end in. So that's a reason for using Dart on the server side. So why AWS Lambda and not just, why would you not just run it on, I don't know, EC2? You, you could also run it there or uh, in, in just a container. So why did you come up with the idea that you run it on AWS Lambda? Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, e EC2 is exactly is uh, the compute environment. Um, you, so you could spin it up basically on a on a VM and so on and so forth. But there's like two things to consider here. Um, my business logic was um, basically event-driven. So I was just processing things in the background, which means like if there is no uh, if there's no event from the from the basically a business event, I would not have to run my code. So this was like a pricing consideration in my case. It's like okay. Either I spin up a 24-hour, um, um, 365 days uh, a year um, virtual machine, or I use a, um, a serverless environment like Lambda, which I can just spin up on, on the event that I want to uh, process. So um, in this case, it was down to, um, to a cost considerations where I thought, okay, um, I, need, I want to have this business logic just run on an event base, and that's when I need it, and that's when I do the computation. And then also the scaling effort, right? I have one, I would have one VM, but what about, okay, I need to, to have the traffic um, coming from, I don't know, at the end, a million customers. I don't know if this be successful being having run with a million customers. Um, I would have to to maintain infrastructure that can do the scaling and so on, and so on and so forth. And I wanted to avoid this and basically put this burden on an environment that can be scaled very easily, which is uh, Lambda, which basically scales on itself. That sounds interesting. I also worked on a project where we wrote the mobile application in Flutter. It was a smart home project and we needed Alexa skills. Unfortunately, it was before your blog post. So I had to write the Alexa skill, the code responsible for the Alexa skills. I had to write it in Node.js. I was thinking that okay, I, I wish I could write everything in Dart. With Dart, I already know the tooling quite well and maybe even uh, some of the code could have been shared between the mobile app and the Alexa skills and also the Google Home skills. I think they call it 
actions or something. I, I don't remember. I was also thinking back then that I, I wish I could run Dart uh, on AWS Lambdas, and I found the custom Lambda runtimes, but I never had enough time to dive deep enough into it. <laughs> um, so we, in the end, had to use Node.js. How do you write custom runtimes for AWS Lambda? The approach here is actually that you, there is, so that there is the package, right, that you can pull it into your code, um, which basically provides you with the underpinning uh, logic to consume events from the, from the, um, from the Lambda runtime interface. So basically, the events are coming in. For example, in, in the example that you read in the article, there is an event coming in from an application load balancer. So basically, there is a, some load balancer which has an incoming HTTP request. This is translated into a JSON representation of this incoming request. This is then sent to the Lambda um, uh, runtime interface. I would say here there's a little bit there's a little bit more technical depth to that, but I would now say it's the runtime interface. And your Lambda is consuming this is consuming these events from this um, runtime processing it and then basically putting in a response in form of a JSON object back and this is then back uh, translated into 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 your into your application load balancer and then sent out um, um, to to the customer. So you're pulling in all of this logic. Um, there is like two ways um, that's now propagated um, in order to ship this into a Lambda. So what's in the project is actually an example which shows you how you um, compile a binary of this, um, of the start code uh, and zip it into a zip file, which is then uploaded into, into Lambda. And then you can upload it into Lambda and Lambda is deploying this function uh, basically in its environments in the Lambda service. There's also a different path that's also mentioned in the, uh, in the project, <clears throat> which is like, a, like an addition to this, um, to this project, which is using, um, which is called serverless start. And it's built on the serverless framework. So there's an extensive framework, which is called the serverless framework, which allows you to, um, to build, deploy, and test uh, various uh, serverless technologies in a cohesion uh, framework. And for that, there's a project, serverless start, which you can pull in. And all of the steps that you, perf that you perform manually, basically building um, the binary, zipping it, uploading it, um, you can, this, this tool is doing the heavy, list, heavy lifting for you and building it uh, and deploying it in, uh, in, in this consistent um, framework. So I would say these are like the two ways you can use uh, right now um, for running um, Dart code in AWS Lambda. Could you tell a little bit more about serverless because I'm not very familiar with that framework? Yeah, so it's serverless.com. You can you can head for it, and this is basically a framework uh, which has been built. Um, it's in Node.js, and it, it has a, uh, a, a YAML specification uh, for basically telling the framework what you want, and it has APIs to to actually run. 
um, specific operations on top of your code. Um, and it has, with this, um, with these APIs that it provides, it also provides the possibility to have plugins. And in this case, uh, I created a plugin, which is called serverless Dart, uh, which you can pull in via the serverless framework and have these operations uh, for deploying your Dart code automated. So it's, it's a nice addition. Um, you can see a lot of people using um, the serverless framework um, for, um, yeah, for, for maintaining their serverless uh, infrastructures um, and their serverless code. Okay, so I would still use AWS under the hood as an one, one of the options, right? And yeah. if I want to have Dart running on serverless, then I would need a plugin. And this plugin would basically bundle up everything. So it would create the binary for me and it would zip it and upload it to the, to the provider. Is that more or less how it works? Yeah, that's exactly how, exactly how it works. And this specific case... Uh, really, serverless framework supports all major providers in one or the other way, but some solutions, or let's say some plugins, uh, uh, support specific providers. In this case, the serverless Dart one specifically supports uh, AWS Lambda in this in this case, but um, there are other plugins that su also support um, other providers. And do you know the state of Dart on GCP and Azure? Do you know if I could run Dart code there in lambdas or functions? On the, from the top of my head, I don't know it. Um, I looked into cloud functions. I, I'm not 100% sure, I, but I think they don't support it um, right now. Also, Microsoft um, Azure is, uh, I guess, is also not uh, supporting uh, it uh, in its current current iteration, but. Um, I would say, say in Google, in Google Cloud, perhaps there is another way, which is not like completely like a full function as a service way, but it's like what what would be, for example, uh, in AWS um, Fargate, so a serverless container environment, which which in Google Cloud would be Cloud Run, uh, which you can could use in order to run all of this code in a container, basically a Docker container. Or now a run C mm. container, and then do it also serverless. I mean, there's an, there is again as extensions to the serverless uh, ecosystem, or there's various degrees you can use in serverless. Uh, for example, there is there is there are serverless services which um, are not like function as a service or so fast, so down to the to the one single function call function call, but um, there are services which allow you to run basically Docker containers serverless. That means like you you don't take, have to take care um, of, for example, Kubernetes or something else, but you just run your container in a consistent environment. This is also a way uh, how you can do it. I wanted to ask uh, a bit about, so when you run, uh, just coming back to your uh, post, uh, your article, um, I see that there was an option to use uh, to basically compile your application, your Dart application, either with uh, JIT, so just-in-time compilation, or AOT, uh, so ahead-of-time compilation. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, you used ahead-of-time compilation, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Um, and could you explain us why? 
Um, yes. <laughs> so um, with the just-in-time compilation, you would have to um, basically support multiple versions of Dart virtual machines. You, so you would have to create um, or support layers, which you can do. So you can have you can pull in different um, file system layers into Lambda in order to basically put in as um, certain functional function code into your functions. Um, but this is a lot of work, right? Uh, with every iteration of Dart, you would have to ship um, the, uh, this runtime into a layer, test it, see if it works. Uh, you can see this with the other runtimes, for example, for Node, there's, of course, an, an ever-increasing number of node versions and you can see there is an ever-increasing number of uh, versions that uh, Lambda has to, has to support, also other function uh, functions and service, uh, services have to support and this puts a lot of burden uh, on, on, on this, uh, on supporting um, um, many languages. So I thought that the, this, this, the best way to do it would be to go for the ahead of time Compilation, so to use um, to to ship a, a single executable, which is then um, which also which already includes um, um, parts of the or a lightweight version of the Dart VM, and um, yeah, makes it easy to ship and execute in a serverless environment. So that was the reasoning behind it. Okay, okay, and I also read that you need uh, Docker for compilation uh, on. I mean on some platforms, right? Yes, yes, yes. There is th th this, I'm not quite sure if it still holds true, but back then it holds true that um, it you have to compile it on in the Linux environment. So you, you could, of course, compile um, uh, on the Mac, but then um, because the headers look a little bit different, um, it would not work on a Linux machine um, uh, when you ship the, the binary. And there was no cross compilation support uh, within uh, the Flutter, uh, the, 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 sorry, in the Dart tools at, at, at that time. So that's why you have to use for any, for any other platform beside Linux because um, um, AWS Lambda is using Amazon Linux as an operating system, um, you would have to do it in a container if you are not on a Linux um, system to ship then your um, your binary. Okay, okay. Hmm. Uh, I think it is still true, uh, by the way, that uh, there's no cross compilation. Um, I think I, I just, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what the progress on that issue is, uh, but I checked the uh, issue that you linked, and I think it is still open. So I think it uh, this step would be still required for, for example, for macOS. I, I think they, at one point they will make progress on that. I hope so, um, because it, I, I find it naturally that this should be possible that you can do cross compilation here. But yeah, it's 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 one of the things um, um, that that was like a sacrifice one has to make in, in development, right? To accept that this needs is a step that uh, that you need to do. Um, the, the other the other one again would have to be oh I have to ship all of the Dart um, uh, runtimes or uh, VMs into into Lambda, which is 
much more effort, <laughs> I think. And also uh, for, um, from point of view, it's of course, um, when you, the startup times are a little bit higher, right? Because um, you would have, the, the the startup from a from this binary or the startup from interpreting just a file that's sitting in your in your function code into the into DVM um, this has this has a little a little bit of a performance impact of course right hmm. yeah okay I I have one more uh, question so when we so for example if I want to start tomorrow a Dart project and I want to run it on AWS Lambda or so on AWS Lambda. And I just want a simple HTTP service. Um, then what, how would I, so what would I need to set up on AWS so that the pieces fit together? So would I need like the load balancer or some kind of gateway? Um, so how, how would, the steps look like to set up a simple mm -hmm. application oh <laughs> there is a there is a long answer to that and it starts with the depends and um so there's like two like three considerations actually um i would point out first is um if there's you were talking about infrastructure and uh, today, the most common approach to actually spin up infrastructure is to use a concept which is called infrastructure as code. So you also have your infrastructure in some form um, of code. So I would not go for uh, just going into console, clicking things uh, like load balancer or Lambda and spin up your infrastructure. I would actually go for um, uh, infrastructure as code approach. In this case of uh, AWS, um, they have a, a service and a supportive, like I would say, language or like a specific language specification that you can use in order to spin up this infrastructure, which is called CloudFormation. So what I what what I would do in this case is actually to start with a CloudFormation template in which you specify um, these, the pieces that you would need for your for your infrastructure. And if you want, would want a uh, lightweight RESTful uh, API, you could do it in two ways, I would say. One way is, of course, highlighted in the article, which could be a, a small application load balancer, right? Um, so an ALB in short. The other thing that you can do is actually there is a thing called API gateway. Uh, there is the Amazon API gateway. Uh, don't get me on the, why the names are always sometimes prefixed with Amazon, that's sometimes with AWS, but in this case, it's, it's Amazon API gateway. And there is a version um, of API gateway, um, which is uh, so one of the versions is an HTTP-based um, um, API, and you could use this. So use API gateway and a HTTP API to um, to create the events for your REST for your RESTful API, and then um, um, call or put the event into an AWS Lambda and uh, respond to this um, to this um, to this calls in your API. 
So this could be this could be uh, one one way. And I can also point you to the resource. So the most simple one I would say is go for an API gateway with an HTTP API and have your uh, Lambda functions uh, written in Dart and then build up your business. That's very straightforward. Okay. And can I also use storage options with that or how, how is the landscape there? Oh, that's 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 another another story actually, um, because you see there is now this project with uh, AWS Amplify actually right, which I mentioned, mm -hmm. and this this is a project that actually is heading towards doing a much more deeper integration uh, of Flutter into the AWS ecosystem, or is trying to do it. So right now there are, they have support, for example, for authentication. So you can use um, what's called MS Incognito. So this is a service that you can use for authentication and have widgets and all of the underlying um, infrastructure provisioned and uh, integrated into your app. So when we're also talking about databases, right? Um, we, when we talk about the, the Lambda story itself, the compute environment story itself, you can call any service from Lambda basically in AWS. So what you would do from when you when your Lambda is, is invoked, so the code is executed, is you could, um, for example, use DynamoDB, which is a NoSQL serverless service, um, that you can use as a database and call into the service, um, fetch some data, um, write some data, whatsoever, operate with this database and then funnel back to your, uh, to your API. But I think like in the long term, I think all of this, all of this functionality may move completely, completely into AWS uh, Amplify um, at the end. So I think, um, for the future, this this will be the uh, the the tool the tools I would say tool chain um, to go for when when yeah when designing applications on top of of AWS. But for now, if you for example need some specific things, uh, some specific infrastructure that you can call in, then you can uh, use uh, you can spin up your Lambda function. The code gets invoked, and then you call into any other uh, um, uh, AWS service and in the project that's also um, mentioned. It's actually mentioned uh, if if you look into into the code uh, into the readme. There it mentions that um, there is uh, there is a I would not a company or like a like a, 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 a there are people that actually have gone through the effort in supporting or creating packages for um, for all major AWS services. So if you go for the readme for the project, you can see a reference for the packages from Agilord, which actually support most of the AWS APIs. So you can then pull in into your uh, Dart function, uh, these packages, and for example, from your Lambda function call into I don't know AWS uh, S uh, S3. Yeah, you can call into SQS or you can call into DynamoDB, 
and make requests against these services. So this is something that you can also do right now. Oh, okay. Okay. That's, that sounds nice. Um, but, okay. So um, I have one more question. Uh, I have a couple of more questions uh, actually, cool. uh, but so we, when I write uh, a Lambda, uh, let's say with eight, just to handle HTTP uh, requests and responses and like build responses, um, there are already a couple of uh, frameworks uh, in the Dart ecosystem. Uh, for example, uh, I don't know if you know this, uh, the, the shelf router, which is basically uh, just, I, I think it's quite similar to, uh, it's quite similar to um, Express on Node.js. So it knows how to handle, uh, I don't know, the, the routing part. Um, and I didn't see any routing in the, uh, in the Lambda project. Uh, do you know how I would go about integrating that or would I need to build my own routing logic in there? Um, so, <laughs> yeah, there, there, there is, again, it depends on the story. So actually um, routing, in, when, when we talk about serverless, you actually don't want to do routing in your applications somehow. Um, okay. Because, because um, let me put it this way. Um, because you, you want to have the least responsibility of a function. So let's say you have a restful API, um, that you created, for example, create a, creating a user, deleting a user, list a user. Um, and then perhaps you have something like, um, show me all, all users or show me groups. Of course, you could um, put everything, all of this logic into one big Lambda function and basically um, funnel all of your requests into this one function. Even though uh, what you get in when the function is executed is only a JSON representation of the request, right? You don't get like the like the actual HTTP request that you need to to parse. You get the JSON representation of an event. Yeah. So. Um, usually what you would do is you do the routing before this. This is why I was pointing out um, API gateway, for example, right? Which is like you build, you basically have this service where you can specify your routes and then say, okay, if I call, for example, a, or when I make a get for users, then I will call the get users function. When I will make a create users or when I create a user, then I would make a, uh, a request towards the re, uh, create user um, lambda. So um, I, I would say don't don't do any kind of routing because you don't actually route within your within your applications. So what you would actually do in your applications, you would get if you would go down this path of of routing, you would basically get an, a request. With all of the uh, all of the URLs that have been called, right, <laughs> and then you would mm -hmm. basically a catch-all function. This would be the catch-all function, and you would have then to decide, okay, this is the route, and I would have to do this, and I would, this is the route, and I would have to do this. So um, again, I would rather do this in the on the edge, so in, in actually in the service, and not uh, within uh, your function. 
there is also other considerations here, of course, speed, right? It's there is an additional overhead in your in, in your in, in your lambdas if you have to decide, okay, what is this request actually? Uh, what what is this request wanting for me, right? Oh, is it wanting that I create a user? Is it trying that I, I need to list users or something else? So um, put it back to the edge. Go, for example, for uh, HTTP uh, API with um, with uh, MS API Gateway. This would be, for example, one of the things um, that you can do. Ah, that's that's an interesting point uh, because then I I think. I wanted to ask uh, before, like, how do I need to change my, uh, I, I think I actually asked that, how do I need to change my thinking uh, when I move from the traditional, I don't know, uh, from a traditional architecture to the, basically the ser serverless architecture. And mm -hmm. I think this would be like one good point that, uh, like, as you mentioned, that you wouldn't do the routing in the, Lambda or uh, or the function uh, itself, but you would do it at a kind of a different layer, right? Yes, 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 exactly. Um, so again, um, you would basically separate your requests um, in these kind of services, right? So in these kind of API services, I'm not quite sure which uh, services are, are these in, for example, GCP or Azure. I'm sure uh, they have these kind of, uh, also these kind of services, but you would basically separate, figuring out what's the request here, and then you would funnel it into, into uh, the specific Lambda functions. Even though one thing that I would want to also mention is there's also <laughs> like many, uh, like, more um, services, right? It's not only limited to um, this, perhaps in addition, uh, because we're talking about more modern things, it's not only RESTful API, there's also things like AWS AppSync, right? Which is a GraphQL-based API. Now, also other ma major providers also have GraphQL-based API, uh, which is perhaps even the, the more interesting um, um, uh, API approach that you can follow here, because then you, then you understand more, okay, when you look at the greater things of scheme, uh, greater scheme of things, uh, GraphQL API based API has different nodes, right? You can implicitly select from users, you can implicitly select from groups, and so on and so forth. And this gives you like a hint of, okay, actually users is resolved by I don't know this function, uh, group is resolved by this other function, and I don't know like. Um, um, some I don't know list listing of of um, connections between users is uh, is funneled from another uh, API. So these are different nodes basically in a graph uh, that you can imagine uh, where you gather your information. That's how you can think about um, uh, Lambda and how you should approach it. You should think about your functionality from point of view of a specific node, so a specific like entity of information that you that you compile that you that you want to get and this specific information that's what you write in, in your lambda if it's expanding beyond this right if it's if it's crossing borders for example from users into groups or into connections of groups then you see okay i'm now leaving this this entity of information and this is what you should what should tell you okay hmm 
I should probably consider writing another Lambda function. And with GraphQL, for example, it becomes apparent, right? If you create a new no node, basically in your, in your schema, uh, if you create this, oh, you realize, okay, this is basically the point where I should actually write a new Lambda because I'm accessing a new um, uh, data, basically a data point um, or a specific space of data that, uh, that I need here. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Uh, and just one one more uh, question: That could I run it somehow locally, or uh, so? How would the development process look like? And also, uh, the can I automate the tests, or would I always need to run my tests on basically on real AWS servers, or is there any way to fake that part? Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can fake it. <laughs> Let's call it fake it, right? Um, because there's also always like small differences between environments. But um, so serverless start actually supports. Uh, I, I there is a little bit of story behind it. I, I it didn't support it like from the start, but I did some some fixes in order to actually within the serverless framework support the basically the offline functionality so that you can test your lambda function locally um this should this should work now so what it is it's doing is actually um, running your function in a container which has the same somehow the same properties um that actually the lambda environment has so the, the same environment variables and um, also the same kind of working right so you have uh, basically a, a proxy before this so that basically caches up the um the, the requests and and does all of the the magic between mapping between your your actual http requests and your uh, your lambda invo invocations and yeah i mean th this you this you can do i mean definitely you can run this locally um, there are some environments like the serverless framework that uh, makes it easy to do this. There are also other projects um, that basically help you to create a Docker container and some additions to uh, to run your code locally. There is, for example, the serverless application model, SAM, which um, allows you to do this. So yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely possible and you should definitely do it. And um, yeah, to run everything in always like in the real production environment or some staging environment, this would be a lot of lot of uh, overhead um, for your for your development. Yeah, but also tell me, I mean, if you go for the for the serverless start project, and if you have some requests to make it better, or if you need some support to, for example, testing it locally or so, uh, tell me, create an issue, and yeah, or create. A pull request, and then we can see if we can move this forward and make it more easy um, to to do this kind of functionality. Okay, okay. I I think I I'll do. Uh, I mean, I I so I have a sort of a full stack web development uh, background, uh, and I I enjoy writing uh, Flutter code, but at the same time, I'm always I don't looking out for. Uh, for the backend uh, part of things, and I think it, it it just sounds so interesting to wire everything up and uh, I don't know experiment with these technologies. So I, I will try to find time to run or write a, a simple app 
for yeah. uh, AWS Lambda. Um, cool, cool, cool. No, I, that, that, that would be awesome. Uh, highly encouraged uh, driving the ecosystem uh, forward. I think Dart is actually, has become, uh, from my point of view, a, one of the like the full-fledged um, languages that you can use. It's it's good in the front end. It's good in the back end. It has an awesome standard library. It has an awesome community. A lot of packages that have been created that you can use. So um, we should actually try to foster Dart in the back end. Um, I think that has been a little bit neglected. Actually, it has been. Focus, being focused a lot on the on the front end part, especially with Flutter, but I think it's it's one of the languages that's that's good in all of the environments, and yeah, try try to try to make it better and move move it forward. Um, one of the things that I can think of from top of my head is it would be great to see Dart support, um, for example, for the AWS CDK, so the Cloud Development Kit. This would be one awesome thing to do so because then you could write your infrastructure code in dart you could write your backend in dart and you could uh, write your uh, flutter project dart so this would be then like the full the full uh, the, the really the full stack without using any other language that would be great yeah i i totally agree i i think that like it's fun to try out new uh, programming languages um, and of course, there is also the argument that you need it, it. So some people say that you need to pick always the best tool for the job. But I think also there's so like using only one language is so beneficial because you don't need to think about, okay, where do I put the argument type? Is it after the colon? Is it like in Java or like th there? these little things mm -hmm. are so to me, they are so annoying that, okay, I need to look up like the, how is the if statement? Can I have a switch uh, in this uh, programming language? Uh, how do I manage uh, or errors or uh, exceptions? And mm -hmm. I think it, it's so, it would be nice to use one language, uh, basically full stack. Yeah, um, Total, totally agree. Um, I think from my point of view, there is no good or bad language. It's only like, good or bad programmers. And over time, you get really good in, in one programming language. You know basically the nitty-gritty parts, you know the performance um, characteristics and so on and so forth. And then you can create really great code and uh, really great ecosystem around um, the tooling. And I think one of the major, major things that I think is really great about Dart is actually the support of developer productivity. Um, for, look, for example, for Ruby on Rails. It's, it's a very good framework, right? Um, Ruby is a very good language. It's very fast, but the support, the developer support is compared, for example, to Dart and to Flutter, it's really bad. Uh, if you look for the, for the um, for the productivity that you can get from all of the tools that have now been created uh, with the Flutter um, project and in the Dart community, you can be up to speed so fast. Look for when you look, for example, the, for the VS Code support for Dart and Flutter. It's it's amazing. You will never get anything like this in in, for example, for Ruby on Rails. 
tell me wrong, but uh, that's that's my that's my impression from uh, from being in, uh, involved in both both ecosystems. So um, yeah, I mean th this this is this is a major contribution. Being fast and be productive in in with one language and one ecosystem makes all the difference. If you can create something very fast and you can create code. Uh, to a high quality because the tooling is so great um, for example with support for language server or something else that makes all the difference in the world um, for creating software then you can have the you could have the best language in the world which could not match um, the other language which is perhaps a little bit inferior I don't know people would say oh yeah that's not the perfect language but the tooling is so much better and you being most much more productive. You understand bugs much better, much faster. That would again make all the difference in the world. Yeah, I agree. Um, then I think it's it's time to wrap things up. Uh, I would like to thank you again for uh, joining and also for explaining all the cloud-related things uh, to me to us. Uh, it's been it's been uh, fun. Sure. Uh, thank you, first of all, for, for pinging me. Uh, came a little bit of a surprise, um, but I'm, again, really happy to to spread the word um, for Dart and being a, a supporter of Darts. And yeah, again, create questions along the way. I think it's really important for, um, for mobile developers to look basically beyond their application and look into the backend and get to know what you can do there because then you create much more complex and much better apps. So thank you very much for inviting yeah. me. Actually. And uh, are you active online on any social platforms? Uh, so if you if you are, uh, how can our listeners find you? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you. I'm on GitHub. <laughs> I'm on Twitter. It's always the, the handle Catalaxy. So you can find me on twitter.com slash catalexy. You can find me on github.com slash catalexy. And yeah, this is where I also contribute. And you can ping me if you have questions. If you need my help, send me a ping and I will respond as quickly as I can. Okay, okay. Thank you. Uh, I will leave the, the links in the show notes. And then I think that's it. Uh, thank you again and have a great day. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please do me a favor and recommend the episode to your friends. Both online and in-person recommendations are appreciated. So share either on social platforms such as Twitter and LinkedIn, or just mention the podcast to your coworkers and software developer friends. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss the next episode. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also listen to the podcast directly from your web browser on flutter101.dev, that is flutter101.dev. You will also find an RSS feed there. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review. It only takes a couple of seconds and can help the podcast reach a bigger audience. Have a great day and see you next time. Wah-pa-pam, wah-pa-pam.